We are back to work today. Uh, too much going on, uh, Nell, over the weekend to uh, to take the day off. You know, we thought about it. We talked about it last week. But, you know, you had the first Badger game uh, over the weekend. Uh, you had the Packer cut down over the weekend. And you had the Brewers in a pretty impressive showcase against the Cubs uh, over the weekend uh, as well. So, Felt like there was too much uh, going down to uh, to not be here today. Yeah, we had way too much stuff to cover. Right. So we are here. Uh, glad you're with us if you're uh, on your way to work or just enjoying the day off. I'd uh, love to hear from you. 608-321-1670. You can always uh, tweet the show at, uh, at Zone Madison. Uh, we will get to our uh, our best and worst of the weekend coming up. Uh, much more on the uh, the Packers cut down uh, to fifty three and uh, on the Badger win on uh, on Friday. And by the way, how was? Uh, we'll be back at our uh, our home base for Badger Saturday uh, this Saturday at the Red Zone. But uh, your first uh, road Zone Blitz pregame bash, Nelly, on uh, Friday night. What was your uh, your takeaway? I see uh, you you picked right up where everyone else left off with the Miller tab. So that was good to see you guys uh, abusing my 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 credit card again on Friday night. But uh, what did you think of your uh, your first pregame at the Thirsty Goat? How about that turnout, man, on a Friday night? That place was packed. For, now, don't uh, was- try and blame me and RJ. Because me and RJ were very vocal. We wanted our own tabs. And the waitress put it all on one. Plus, RJ and myself went and paid... And we left a very nice tip for the Thirsty Goat employees. I think you got to be looking at uh, a, a few other culprits. <laughs> so you're naming names. So you're basically saying the only other person that was there besides RJ and you, because it was a four-person uh, broadcast setup. Uh, so you're basically naming uh, the, because it was my tab. You and RJ were two and three. There was only one other person that was a part of that pregame show. So you're basically naming that person without naming that person? I don't know if you uh, forgot, but you did go down the uh, list of items ordered, and that uh, individual raised their hand for over <laughs> half of them. Well, I will give that person credit. Uh, the uh, The food there at the Thirsty Goat is incredible. We were there on a Friday night. Um, so you got to try things like the brisket and the burnt ends and some of the stuff that we had and uh, the drinks are incredible. No, it was a great time uh, out of Friday night. Thanks to everybody who showed up. And uh, this Saturday we are, we are back at uh, uh, Badger game day home base on Regent street. We'll be at the red zone Madison uh, from 1230 to two thirty. So looking forward to a, a big weekend of uh, a Badger game day. And, uh, I mean, dude, I, I'll be interested when the rankings come out later today, Nelson, to see uh, how much of a, a, a bump does Wisconsin get. Because here's the thing. We were talking about this, and, you know, they're going to get lumped in right with the Penn States and the Maryland's of the conference who who crushed people. But that's not – people aren't doing their diligence. Because to compare what Penn State and Maryland did at home – to far more imper- inferior opponents did to what Wisconsin did on the road against a bowl team from a year ago. I mean, Howard and Idaho ain't ever going to a bowl game. Um, again, South Florida's not playing in the Rose Bowl anytime soon, but they're not a terrible team. And to put, you know, 49 um, nothing on the same spot with what Idaho, Penn State is, is not, is not reasonable. I'm going to guess that they jump about three spots. 
Uh, they were in the coaches poll 17th in the AP 19th. Yeah, I would think um, a bump of at least two or three, four spots should be uh, in order for the Badgers. 608-321-1670. What's up, Tom? Welcome to the Joan Ebo Show. As far as the Badgers go, when they start playing, isn't it Michigan on their third or fourth game? That's going to be when the rubber hits the road right there. Uh, you are 100% correct on that. That is uh, in two weeks, Tommy. That's what it's all about. That'll be interesting. Anyway, um, besides you know beating the spread by a little, the, uh, the, the Brewers won two out of three. And what's crazy is a weekend or so ago they got killed. I don't know how many runs or 50 runs were scored against them in three games or something, but uh, they had two shutouts in a row. They had good pitching. They well, against and Tom, you know defense. this. The, the Cubs have the best home record uh, in the National League. Uh, they had, let's see, at 45 wins. That is second best in the major leagues, only behind the Yankees. I mean, they are almost impossible to beat at Wrigley Field. To do what the Brewers did on Saturday and Sunday is pretty remarkable. Also, the wind was blowing in, and uh, you know their strength is always to hit homers to win, and they were doing it all different ways. And then Yelich did hit one. He's been a little cool for a couple weeks, so maybe this is all turning around in a way that I mean, you just when they start to play the, the Cardinals again, it's going to be everything because the Cardinals win every different way and they're scrappy up to the last out and you know just crazy. So if they can do the same kind of performance where they're really in it every game against the Cardinals, this could really get tight near the end. But you know, it's been such an up and down year. So all these new guys, I was watching the game cast. I was doing something else, and all of a sudden there's all these new names on the on the lineup, and I'm like, who's that? So, well, like, yes, uh, guys are worth. yeah, like, thank you, Tommy. Like, uh, Nelson, like you said, that's the, the legend uh, of September call-ups, right? And, Tom, you're exactly right. I, I mean, I was watching yesterday, and, and good for counsel. Look, if you have the if you have an expanded roster, use it. And he was getting his money's worth. Uh, I mean, you, Matt Albers would come in, throw a pitch, gone. Next guy in, throw a, a two a batter, gone. I mean, they were getting their money's worth. From the sixth through the ninth inning, Brewers no doubt. Brewers fans better cherish that too, because that uh, rule changes next year, where you can only bring up, I believe, twenty-eight guys. You can only roster twenty-eight guys instead of the uh, who is it like forty right now? Possible? Yeah, they they uh, Tom, you're right, and I, I did the same thing because I totally forgot about the September call-ups because uh, yesterday was September first. I like where the hell is summer gone? Um, and I'm I'm folding laundry during the sixth inning and like, they're just real. I'm like, who the hell are these guys? And I'm like, Oh, it's September 1st, which sucks. Cause it means all my bills are due at the first of the month. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh it was an incredible two days for, you know, basically on Nelson as big a life support as the Brewers have been on lately, taking the fact that the Cubs are almost unbeatable at home. Uh, factor in the fact that you get, you know, just destroyed on Friday afternoon. You're like, this, this series is done. And then you just dominate Saturday and Sunday. And you still That's have, incredible. And you still have seven games left against the Cubs and Cardinals. They got it. I mean, they're not there. They are still in this thing. Three games out of the playoffs, 26 to go. Can't get swept against Houston, though. Can't Big, do that. Yeah, no, I agree. Now that, and I, I said this on one of our uh, my sports section uh, commentaries for our, for our Madison audience, uh, you know, on the sports section here, uh, which we run every day on, on the afternoon drive, is that, look, whatever happens with the Brewers the rest of the way, um, the fact that it might, you know, I, I don't know what the next 26 days have in store for the Brewers, but I do know they did their job for me as a fan uh, by keeping it, you know, keeping them in the hunt um, all summer long. And 
you know, last year that story was incredible. And Evo and I said it over and over. And we were just stunned to see it because we were in the, you know, this was pre-Packers had imploded. Uh, this is pre-Wisconsin season was a disaster where the Brewers were still the most popular entity. I, I assumed last year, oh, the Brewers' summer's been great, but now it's football. Everyone's going to switch back over to Packers and Badgers, and they didn't. And, you know, the Brewers had this incredible run all the way to the Game 7 of the National League Championship Series. I don't know what this next 26 days is going to play out. Who knows? Maybe they go 27-9 and nine, uh, like they did last year in September, and we're talking about playoff baseball again, or maybe they go 500 and uh, – this comes to an end. Uh, but they have, again, kept us into it until the month. I mean, it's September today. Hard to believe. But we are in the month of September, and the Brewers have once again taken this thing at least into September where they're still in it. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. It's September 2nd today. You will know exactly where the Brewers' playoff chances really stand in two weeks. Once they get through that uh, Cardinal series where you go through two games with the Astros, four with the Cubs, four with the Marlins, three with St. Louis, you'll know exactly where you'll stand. You'll either be right in it or you're going to be five or six out with, what, 15 games left and pretty much eliminated. True. You, you could almost even go one further. I mean, you could say, right, with uh, with what they've got coming up this week um, with Astros-Cubs, you could almost say you'll know where this thing is by by the end of the, by, you know, by the Sunday night football game. Right. Uh, by the time you're watching Patriots and uh, and Steelers, hell of a Sunday night game, you'll you'll know where this thing is because between the uh, the games this week, uh, with with Houston and Chicago, because I mean the Cubs series, people don't realize they, they get the rare Wednesday day off this week, and then they go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Miller Park. Uh, I think you know by the time we get to Sun again, by See, the that's t- key too they, that they get that day off between the right. Astros and Agreed. the Cubs. Because they don't get another day off until late September, and obviously that's the last day off. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And uh, again, to uh, to have four games at home against the team, I mean, because you could look at it two ways, right? You could say the the goal is to win the division. You still got to catch, you know, the Cardinals no matter what happens this week. Or you say the goal is to just make the playoffs or be in the playoffs at this point. I mean that's a re- that's an attainable goal by the end of this week, right? Because you're three games behind Chicago right now. You play goal, them four times. If you could somehow get a split, I think that's uh, got to be the goal. The goal's got to be to go at least three and three this week. Well, I was going to say if you could split with the Astros and win the series with the Cubs, if you <laughs> could somehow go three and one at home, if you could get to four and two. See, this I feel week, like that's a that's a lot to ask, especially in a four game series in baseball. The split is you have to get a split though. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, at worst you gotta you gotta go five hundred on the week. I, I completely agree because you can't. You're already th- to to go less than five hundred. It means you're giving more ground back to the Cubs because if, whatever the Cardinals, irrelevant of what the Cardinals do the next two weeks, the Cubs are in front of you also, and you play the Cubs. So the worst thing you can't do is give ground to the Cubs, right? So going five hundred is you at least maintain. The three games. Now, yeah, if you, you don't s- split, you're hurting. If you split, it's probably about all right. And then if you win anything more than just splitting these series, I think you're getting a little bit greedy. But you got to at least get a split or you're done. Uh, you know, you do miss Verlander. Uh, you know, obviously he had the no-hitter yesterday. The bad news is you get Cole 
who might be just as good, if not better, than Verlander this season. Uh, and then you get Zach Grinke uh, tomorrow. So you, you you do get two ridiculous pitching matchups. Now, yeah, probably, Nelly, I can't believe I'm saying this. What, what, what universe did you what, – what, which one of Ebo's bizarre multiverses would you have said this, that on September 2nd and September 3rd, the, the Brewers' two best pitchers would be going – and their names would be uh, Adrian Hauser and Jordan Lyles. Because those are by far and away the Brewers' two best pitchers right now. And they're pitching today and tomorrow. The How about the that- Dream Hauser Cole matchup and the sexy Lyles Grinky matchup? Did you ever think you'd be saying that? God. But right, if you told me, tell me Hauser and Lyles haven't been the two best pitchers since the All Star break. If you told me at the beginning of the year that Jordan Lyles would be probably your best pitcher. This season, especially in the second half, I would say, how the hell did the Brewers get Jordan Lyles after they let him walk? This isn't a good spot. And two, I've I've actually always been a fan of Adrian Hauser. I think he's uh, he's had some bad luck with injuries since being dealt in that uh, Josh Hader deal. How about that deal, by the way? I think it was uh, Doug Melvin's last trade he made as the Brewers GM where he acquired Domingo Santana, Brett Phillips, Josh Hader <laughs> and Adrian Hauser for uh, it was Fires and Gomez. That's a pretty good deal. And Houston's still ridiculously good, by the way. Can you imagine if they had all those guys? Uh, by the way, Jordan Lyles, since uh, the trade acquisition, he was acquired on uh, on July 30th from the Pirates. Uh, one earn run, one earn run. One earn run, did have a blow-up game in that bizarre 15-14 extra inning game against the Nationals where he gave up five. Zero earn runs, zero earn runs. In six starts for the Brewers, you take away the one. And by the way, the Brewers still won that game. Uh, he has not given up more than a run in five of his six starts. That This was a guy that the, the Pirates just threw away with you know yesterday's hamburger buns that weren't used at you know PNC Park in Pittsburgh to the Brewers, and he's by he's by far and away the best pitcher right now Milwaukee has. And 100% at the time, that was a meh deal. You gave up pretty much nothing to get a guy that has been pretty bad. He was pretty bad with the Pirates the last few months before the Brewers traded for him. And he was already with the Brewers, and you saw that he's basically a long reliever spot starter. So you weren't expecting this. Okay, And then uh- at the same time, you gave away so much more to acquire Drew Pomeranz and Ray Black. To your point, last four, this is bizarre. Talk about change of scenery. Last four starts with the Pirates. Seven earned runs. Seven earned runs. Did have a one-hit, uh, one-run gem against the Phillies in mid-July, but then eight and seven. So his five last starts, four of them, he gave up at least seven runs three times. He hasn't given up more than one run in five of six starts for the Brewers. What an incredible – I mean, talk about, like, saving a season for a guy. Holy and God. And could you imagine if you traded for Jordan Lyles like that in a situation where he already had three starters, where he had Woodruff just dealing, uh, say Chassin was still Chassin. Can you, right. And – and you got anything from any other pitcher. It just kills you. We, they, the Brewers would be seven games up right now. Can you imagine if you had, to your point, uh, last year's Shasheen, a healthy Brandon Wo- Just take that. Give me last year's Shasheen and a healthy Brandon Woodruff. 
throw in Lyles and Hauser right now. And if you could have got anything out of Peralta or oh. Corbin Burns. There was no hanging around for the Badgers. That was a beat down from the word go. Yes, As uh, we say good morning to our uh, Badger Insider. Wow. So we are out at the uh, the Thirsty Go. By the way, great time on uh, on Friday night. Thanks to everybody who showed up. Chef Jeff and all the great people out at the, the GOAT as well for some incredible food, drink. Uh, all right. So we go around our last segment, RJ, on the pregame. We all make our, our predictions on the game. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, I'm at 14 points. You know, Subtle's at around the same. Yeah, so uh, was Nelson I. was a little below that. But we're all in that same, you know, 10 to 14 point range. And I look, I would have been more than happy satisfied if my prediction hit you know if they if they had won i think mine was 27 13 mm-hmm. i would have been feeling gr- no questions no problems 100% jacked up as a badger fan if they would have gone on the road and won 27 13 friday night to do what they did how like in a good way stunningly surprised are you by that performance friday night i you know from from the get go uh I, I was pleasantly surprised. You watched that game and you saw a Badger team that, you know, took advantage of the opportunities, uh, limited the mistakes. Uh, you just saw a team who looked like they know how to win. Uh, whereas last year, I think we had a team struggling to get a win um, and you know, if they had a lead, playing not to lose rather than playing to win. And, you know, whether you want to say at some point they kind of backed off uh, and made the play calling a little more conservative, the good news was it was still working. Um, You had Nakia Watson get a touchdown. You had Bradrick Shaw get a touchdown. Uh, You know, your leading receiver on the day ended up being uh, your Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, He started off the year great. Um, and then I see Justin Fields goes out there and plays, and then everybody says he's the number one guy. Uh, but you know, like we've talked about before, it's a quarterback award now for the best quarterback on the best team. I was gonna say Oklahoma's might have the market cornered on Heisman trophies because uh, Jalen Hurts last night five oh eight and six TDs. Yeah, that and you got Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. The last two Heisman's, uh, I, you know, I might, I might be putting a flyer better. A guy maybe should have put a flyer bet on Jalen Hurts a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, and during that Lincoln whole, Riley knows whole, how to coach yeah, quarterbacks. During that whole pregame, people were like, you know, his his passing game's a little off, and he 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 looked like a completely different Holy passer God. last night. It was amazing, but uh, yeah, hadn't getting back to that Wisconsin game, you, you win the time of possession by ten minutes. Um, you. Your defense was attacking, creating turnovers. Two turnovers, uh, one touchdown uh, off that fumble return for a touchdown uh, from Matt Higginson. Higginson, I think, yeah. Um, And then you got an interception for Burrell there. Uh, I mean, for everything everybody was saying who wasn't at practice, saying Mertz needed to be your starter, you know, Cone gave me what a winning Wisconsin quarterback needs to do. What he was seventy-three percent or something like that, with just under two hundred yards at one hundred ninety-nine and two touchdowns. Uh, I liked that he overthrew Quintez Cephas twice. Uh, 
the last guy couldn't overthrow somebody. So that created a lot of turnovers. When you can overthrow an entire defense and miss your receiver, chances are it's never getting intercepted. Um, So that was good to see. And who knows, maybe we're uh, four or five days away here from uh, seeing that pass completed now. And we have your deep threat. Uh, I mean, Cephas is there. Aaron Cruikshank's also a guy who can just sprint down the field. Uh, so you have two very deep threats right there. But, yeah, I think, you know, that week coming back, you guys talked about it before, too. Uh, your first completed pass of the year was Do you think to that Cephas. was done intentional? Absolutely. You, you just you get it out of the and way. And that was the first pass attempt, by the way, because they go one, two, three, four, five straight Taylor runs. Yep. To start the game, the first three obviously end in a first down. Second series, they get it. Uh, it doesn't do much. Uh, so it's a third and seven. And then Cone completes a 15-yard pass to uh, to Cephas. So I was going to say, do you think that was that was either going to be a first down or they were resigning punting? They were just the first pass attempt was always going to be toward two Quintus Cephas. Do you think I, I that think- was pre-designed? It, it probably was, and, you know, you have a lot of options there. I'm guessing he was the first option, uh, and, you know, you get that out of the way right away so people like, or even the team isn't speculating when are we going to get that ball to, to Quintez. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I liked that you get him involved early, uh, let people know he is going to be a part of this team. You're not just doing the lip service and saying, yeah, he's back and we'll we'll work him in. Well, we'll work him in means – He's going to be a big part of this thing. And, uh, I, you know, you, outside of the the one fumble you had from uh, uh, Ferguson, did you know he's uh, Alvarez's grandson? <laughs> what? Yeah, found that out. Um, you had God, How did that slip by him? He was like freshman of the year <laughs> last year in the Big Ten. I should the, have known the that. The offense limited their mistakes. And, you know, going back to last year, that's what shot him in the foot. The offense made too many mistakes uh, for that team to overcome. And, yeah, you, you got to like what you saw last night. If you were upset, Cone was the starter. Can't uh, really be upset today. Right. And there's some people who still are say, well, I mean, sure, it was against South Florida. What's he going to do against Big Ten teams? Good news is he's got two weeks yet here until we get into a game against the Big Ten team. And uh, only one game, so you get a whole bye week to get ready for that Michigan game. And uh, this isn't a letdown game coming up because you have that bye week. You have nothing to look forward to. 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 I don't think Wisconsin's going to get – Enough of the credit. I, I I saw this a little bit over the weekend um, because you know I saw this you know like listed from you know the the the, the experts you know or the insiders on you know on Twitter. Oh, look at the Big Ten non-conference wins. You know, Penn State seventy-nine seven and Maryland seventy-eight nothing and Wisconsin forty-eight nothing. Well, here forty-nine nothing. Here's the difference: two of those three games were at home. The the Big Ten was the home team in Penn State and Maryland. And I told Nelson this, if you take Howard, that was the team Maryland blew out, Idaho, that was the team Penn State blew out, and South Florida, the team obviously the Badgers played, if you put those three teams, RJ, in like a round-robin tournament, South Florida's beating Howard and Idaho probably by about a combined 70 points. Yeah. So to say just because Wisconsin is in the same league as two teams that blew out terrible teams – I don't think Wisconsin's going to get the, it's just due that like Penn State's could people are just going to roll their eyes. Oh, Penn State beat Idaho 79-7. Yeah. I, you know, to compare what Penn State 
did to what the Wisconsin did, to me, isn't an apples to apples or a fair comparison. No, absolutely not. And you look at Howard, I believe they're an FCS school. Correct. Uh, from the MIAC? Is that Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference? I think you got it. Um, And Idaho, I think they're independent right now because they got... The Vandals, RJ. They got kicked out of the... They're so bad they got kicked out. ...or the WAC, and then they might be dropping back down to FCS if they're not already (laughs) there. Um, Yeah, that the team's just in shambles uh, in Idaho. They've even talked about dropping football. That's that's how much of a non-moneymaker that is there. Um, Yeah, so... You're looking at those two teams playing significantly less talent. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the MEAC uh, conference. I actually watched the MEAC WEAC. Uh, Say uh, that one three times. Yeah. The MEAC WEAC. Uh, it was a game versus uh, Jacksonville State and uh, uh, Bethune Cookman yesterday. It was actually a pretty good game. Uh, uh, tight up until late third quarter. But, uh, yeah, the talent level is quite the drop-off from a Power 5 to those schools. Um, And, yeah, I would much rather take an opponent from a non-Power 5 that is still, you know, right outside the cusp when you consider the American Athletic yeah, Conference. Yeah, and to your point, you're exactly right. But, you know, and by the way, Idaho has, has already been booted down. So those are two non-Division oh. One schools versus a South Florida team that, you know, did play in a bowl game, did play in a conference that has, you know, teams like Central Florida and Houston and Navy and Memphis who were all pretty good teams last year. So, yeah, I mean, just to compare what Wisconsin did to those teams, I think it's just going to get lost. I mean, I, I think if you go down the list, if you look at the top 25, I would say the Badgers' win is among as impressive as anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, outside of if you I want mean, to big Oregon one, yeah, and like the, Auburn or, right. or uh, those teams who also played large conference teams. I mean, at least you didn't get upset at home for the first time since 1983 like Tennessee did. Uh, by Georgia State. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Ohio State, great first quarter, but the rest of that game was garbage. Yeah. Uh, Michigan, great third quarter. Their other four quarters were garbage. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, Penn State, I, I, I can't take anything from that. Michigan State was blah. Iowa was blah. Uh, Nebraska looked terrible. Yeah. I mean, that, that game was awful. I watched that because that was the early game. And, I mean, if you go up and down, the, the you know, the, the top 25, I mean, obviously Notre Dame still plays tonight. Uh, Georgia going on the road is pretty good. I, you know, I don't know. Oklahoma gives up 35 points to a, a first-year coach last night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, Iowa State looking like they were struggling overtime. against I mean, Northern I would think, Iowa. yeah, Wisconsin out of the top 25, probably one of the three or four best. I mean, they, they definitely should move up. And then if you look at it, you know, is this, you know, because I – legitimately asked this question a couple weeks ago. I mean, is this even a, is, should this be a, should a team that went seven and five last year be a top 25 team? Well, after set Friday night, this is not only a top 25 team. This is a, you know, a top 15 borderline top 10 team, in my opinion, after mm-hmm. what I saw Friday night. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd go borderline top 10 quite yet. Uh, Cause I mean, all those teams ahead of them still have, True. have, I they hold on to that until they prove they can't. Um, but, you know, some of them looked like it was, eh, well, whatever. And, I mean, I, yeah, I'm with you. Nebraska doesn't. I, the Nebraska, we talked about it so much, RJ, the last couple of weeks and on the pregame on Friday. I mean, I, 
The Nebraska hype to me was ridiculous. I like Scott Frost. He seems like a good guy. He's a player's guy, younger guy. Obviously, that what he did at Central Florida is incredible. But just, you know, it's like Nelson's, you know, going to make the Olympic wrestling team because he beat a guy in seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. You know, to say Scott Frost, because he won at Central Florida, automatically means Nebraska is going to overtake Penn State and Wisconsin and going to be right there with Michigan and Ohio State. Like, give me a yeah, break. You go four, they went four, four and, eight and eight last and year. And you get ranked in the top 25. That's... That's kind of a disgrace. Yeah. Um, and they look terrible against a terrible team on Saturday. Yeah. So, really, I mean, as a whole, I mean, the conference did all right. Um, you know, minus, I mean, Minnesota was an embarrassment. Uh, Northwestern, you go out there, almost covered. Uh, was mm, a strip that, sack away from, mm. from that happening. Uh, you see Illinois bounce back and just dominate Akron, which I don't think they would have been able to do last year. Um, yeah, Maryland putting up 79, Penn State putting up 79, Indiana comes back in the end and squeaks one out. Over yeah, probably the Ball best State. team in the conference outside of Wisconsin. I can't believe I'm saying this. It was <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. I watched that game, and they they look real. I mean, no, granted, they're playing a bad MAC team, but uh, they Illinois looked pretty good. But, no, I mean, back to, back to Wisconsin. I mean, I, you know, you got a team this week. You're a 33 and a half point favorite against at home against Central Michigan. Um, you know, I would have said a week ago, RJ, based on you know going into the season, I would put Wisconsin as you know mid 20s mm-hmm. going into this game. I mean, the fact that they're, I mean, again, Vegas doesn't give you any freebies. Um, that that should tell you a lot about what Vegas thinks about Wisconsin after just one week. Yeah, uh, makes makes me feel a little better about it, and you know, I see. It's still one of those things. That number kind of makes you a little skeptical based on the past few seasons of the Badgers covering. Uh, but seems like a big yeah. number. But I mean, uh, so did uh, you know? Twelve seemed like a big number on Friday night. Yeah, that worked and out okay. In looking at uh, Central Michigan last week, uh, oh, who did I say they played? We were just talking about it. Oh gosh! But they they gave up uh, 199 yards through the air. So I think Wisconsin. Should if if they can do what they did last Albany. week, in, yeah, the powerhouse of Albany. <laughs> if they can do what they did last week in terms of opening things up, uh, getting your running backs incorporated into the passing game, it should be another blowout. And I don't think the Badgers would have a hard time covering that spread. And uh, you know, based off of this past weekend, I think this has become a two horse race for the Big Ten West. I think you're down to just Iowa and uh, Wisconsin already. Yeah, I agree. I, I never bought the the only reason you'd even consider Nebraska was because of the schedule. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could start as early as this week. I know it's a non-conference game, but it certainly sets the temperature. You know, they're yeah. on the road at Colorado. Based on what how good Colorado looked last week and how blah uh, Nebraska looked, I, I mean, yeah. I, I would think Colorado should win that game right now. Yeah. You know, if Me you come too. out one and one, um, yeah, I I, th- I agree with you. I, I think it's Wisconsin and Iowa. Thought um, Northwestern the was there, but then teams. heck, Hunter Johnson didn't do anything, and they brought in Trent Green's kid uh, for the a good majority North, of the with game. The thing with Northwestern is, oh, RJ, they'll go one and two Trey, in the non-conference, yeah. and then they'll beat Michigan, I mean, they and year. they'll beat Iowa. They and lost to Akron last right. year. First win over a Big Ten team since 1896. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> 
It's uh, it, by the way. So did you? Before I let you go, did you see the? Uh, I assume because you were giggling when I said it. You saw the uh, the Alabama spread. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Is that that's got to be the biggest point spread in in like college football history, right? Fifty five and a half points. It's. I mean, if there's one bigger, I don't remember seeing it, but uh, you know, you you get beat by fifty one over. Uh, Washington State. Now, granted, it's going to be two totally different styles of defense or offense that uh, a- Alabama and Washington State run. But I mean, New Mexico State's another one of those. I believe they got kicked out of a conference too and had to find a new conference to to join because of uh, a- athletic and academic standards. So, um, uh, this is from September of 2012. When uh, Florida State was, you know, that was the Jameis Winston. They were in the yeah. national title game that year. Was it 63. Uh, seven, Savannah State was plus 70 against Florida State. Oh, does it count when it's an FCS school? <laughs> well, yeah, because New Mexico State's a Division One. They're 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 in a they're they're in the uh, the Mountain West. I mean, they're yeah. a D one school. That's an FBS over an FCS. Because uh, yeah, um, yeah. Oof, I mean, still, wow, 70. <laughs> I wonder I mean, if Florida State covered that. I have to go back and look. <laughs> Probably not. That's a huge number to get. Um, yeah, the, some of those are ridiculous. I think they're they're there to make people like. I mean, Vegas is in it to make money. That's there to make people bet on that. Either way, to try to make it go one way or the other. And I think there'll be enough people who watched that Duke game and saw Alabama look decent against them. Versus an even lesser opponent, I think people will uh, get in on that action. It's game week for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you also had the Packers' uh, final cutdowns. So uh, too much to sit this one out today. Glad to be here with y'all on a, uh, a Monday. And uh, Joe and Nelly holding down the fort with you until our normal 10 o'clock spot. Hope you had a great uh, holiday week. And hope you have a great uh, day in store for you today uh, as well as... Uh, a lot of people soaking up that uh, that last day of uh, summer. You know, like what, what were were you, Nelly? Were you one of those kids that did you love to go back to school? Did you hate it? Or were you apathetic? Like I have three kids that kind of ran the gamut uh, yesterday. Some of them were pumped up. Some of them were like, ah, eh, whatever. Some are like, no. What was uh, a young rowdy razor? Were, were like mom and dad have to peel you off the couch that last day of summer vacation, or were you uh, were you okay going back to school? Uh, in high school, it was always you wish there was a little bit more summer, but it wasn't terrible. College, I was ready to go back. Well, yeah, because you went to the Harvard of the Midwest. I mean, I, like they, they taught classes called getting drunk at uh, UW Lacrosse. So, like, summer vacation started when you went to college. Oh, it was summer so, was probably harder than being in school. It was so unfair. You show up <laughs> about a week a week before classes start. You know, you get your first little weekend. Get up, make sure you got like your room set, you got your uh, groceries and everything's all ready to go. And then it's, it's, you have football the whole week. Then you have Labor Day and then you get like a, a nice short half week. So you got welcome weekend with all the freshmen around, house parties all over. Then your, what, your first full week is basically like a syllabus week. So that's nothing. Syllabus week. And then, you know, in lacrosse, you have, uh, Oktoberfest at the end of September every year. So you're basically rolling into that, and then it rolls right into Halloween. That first uh, fall semester at lacrosse is a doozy. 
Uh, yeah, sounds like it's something I, I probably should have uh, considered more when I, I you know, I selected uh, my uh, my higher education. But uh, we're glad to be here uh, up until 10 o'clock. We'll get to our best and worst uh, of the weekend. Daily Action Zone coming up later uh, this hour as well. 608-321-1670 is your uh, telephone number. I want to weigh in on the uh, big weekend for the uh, the Brewers taking two or three from the Cubs. Obviously, the Badger victory. Uh, quite a statement on uh, on Friday night. Uh, we have not got to this. Uh, I want to talk about this uh, Packer roster. Uh, talk about a statement. Not really much of one. You know, we we wondered Nelly if there would be that surprise. You know, the Jordy Nelson cut last year. The you know Josh Sitton a couple of years ago. Um, even the Mike Daniels at the beginning of camp. I to me is still kind of bizarre on the on the timeline on that. But you see the Packer final fifty three. Again, not a lot of uh, shockers on here. I mean, really the only – I feel like you're reaching to find something to either be upset or happy about when you're talking about probably the biggest story on the Packer roster cut is your backup quarterback. Because in any team, the backup quarterback doesn't really mean that much. When it's the Green Bay Packers and you are literally built around one player, your starting quarterback, um, it really means less than nothing. So, uh, I mean, really the only, I shouldn't say the only story, because there's a couple of other interesting points I, I want to bring two. up. But the, right, you would say it's the Sean Kaiser and Alan Lazard. Those were the, the two big names in my mind that people cared about when it came to the final 53-man roster. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And, you know, even Lazard, you could, you could temper that even further because Lazard ends up making the team uh, as a practice squad member. And last year, uh, for those of you who don't realize how the practice squad works, if you're a first or second year player and another team doesn't pick you up, you can go back on the practice squad. There are 10 spots on the practice squad. So they're not on the active roster, but they're like, you know, it's like the AAA kind of of uh, the NFL. Last year of the Packers, 10 practice squad players, five ended up playing in at least one regular season game. So to your point, Nelson, the chances that Ellen Zard plays this year in a regular season game are uh, are pretty good. But yeah, I mean, the, really the only storyline and I'm I'm good for Goody Kunst. I don't think Ted, you know, you know I love me some Ted Thompson, but I don't think my man T squared would have been able to admit failure on Deshaun Kaiser that quickly. Uh Brian Gutekunst, and you could even say this isn't Gutekunst's fault because Demarius Randall wasn't Goody's draft pick. It was Thompson's. Of course, you know, Deshaun Kaiser was acquired uh, from the Browns for Demarius Randall, who was a first-round draft pick by the Packers. So the only reason I thought they would keep him, Nelson, talking about Kaiser, isn't because he can play. Uh, it's because they didn't want to admit failure on a first-round draft pick, right? You had you know Justin Harrell years ago and Derek Sherrard as first-rounders. Mike uh, Neal, uh, that second-rounder a couple years ago, who just was bad. Jason Spriggs, obviously, second-rounder was bad. I just thought that the Packers, as an organization – would think it'd be a bad look to cut a basically a first-round draft pick because that's what you traded for Kaiser. The fact that they did shows me that Goody is... A, this isn't Ted Thompson, and B, they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to sit around and wait, right? If They're not going to say, oh, we're, we're, you know, basically, to, to put it here, I'll, I'll let someone say it better than I can. They're basically not going to wait around for this anymore in Green Bay. In a perfect world, you'd, you'd, you'd be able to draft and develop and keep your own players. Right? I mean, there's no way if Ted Thompson's the GM today that they would have cut Deshaun Kaiser. I don't think there's a chance in hell 
Ted Thompson would have cut Deshaun Kaiser. If it, Deshaun Kaiser was Ted Thompson's guy, he probably would. He'd have wrote it out to the end of his contract, Correct. and then he probably would have released him. God forbid he signed him again. But, I mean, if you look at the opt, I'm not even a fault Gutekunst for making that trade. No. Because if you look at the optics at the time, you had Deshaun Kaiser who just started, what was it, most of the games for the winless Cleveland Browns who had a terrible coaching staff. He was set up to fail in Cleveland. He was a kid that had a lot of tools. He had the size, the arm strength. He, he kind of had the uh, the frame as a potential quarterback in the NFL. What do you have with Demarius Randall? You had a guy that showed flashes at times. You're playing him out of position, and now he's becoming kind of a locker room cancer because he's starting to talk a lot, and he's starting to kind of create some problems in the locker room. I think the optics at the time, I don't think anyone was totally against that trade. No. And, and but then we just found out that Randall should be playing safety, and Deshaun Kaiser does uh, one of two things. So. I was having this discussion this weekend. What are the two things, Joe, in football every single coach stresses to win football games? I think you'd have to go with no penalties and don't turn the ball over, right? Every time Deshaun Kaiser steps on the field, he does one of those. And that's turn the ball over. <laughs> like every single time. That's a good point. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then really to me, the only other storyline was, you know, we think about this all the time, certainly back in the Ron Wolf days and Ted Thompson, you know, he did some bad stuff at the end, what he did a lot of maybe better than anybody else during the, the Super Bowl run and the eight straight years of the playoffs was finding that diamond in the rough guy, the undrafted guy that makes the roster that they haven't had too many of those lately. They only have one, uh, this year and that's Darius Shepard. And it, which makes it even more crazy is it's at the wide receiver position, right? Uh, where you had a, a you know a, a glut of wide receivers a month ago, and we're wondering if you know uh, Whitewater touchdown Jesus uh, Jason Jay Kumro is even going to make the roster. Turns out he was never even in any, anywhere close jeopardy of making this roster. But Darius Shepard, an undrafted you know wide receiver, makes it. And here's another example of Goody that I, I'm starting to warm up to this guy. Yeah, he went to the Harvard of the Midwest. Right, because Jamon Moore was his pick, right? That was a Brian Gutekunst's draft pick, which was a terrible draft pick. And I don't know that my guy T-squared would have had the, uh, you know, the, uh, the look in the mirror type ownership to cut a fourth-round draft pick two years in. And Jamon Moore basically had been terrible. His entire time in Green Bay, and they 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 keep a, an undrafted guy in Darius Shepard and an undrafted guy in Jake Kumro, who's certainly been around for a couple of years, but still at the end of the day, Kumro and Shepard were undrafted guys. If you're a fourth round pick, you're not a lock. I think a first, if you're a first, second, or third round draft pick, you're a lock. They're going to give you at least three or four years because they're not going to admit failure on a, on a draft pick that high. Moore was kind of right on the line. But again, I give Goody some credit. It was a bad pick, and he's man enough to say, yo, I screwed up. And that's rare in this world, not just the NFL in any walk of life. You and I were just talking about some of the problems we've had to deal with here today. People are very good at admitting when they screw up. And by cutting Jamon Moore, you know, not putting him on the 53 or trying to stash him on the practice squad, the Packers are just saying, and Gutekunst is saying, look, it was a bad draft pick. I can't, I can't defend the pick. Anymore, I got to cut the guy. 
Which I is surprising. I mean, it makes because the guy didn't deserve to be on the Packers roster. The only way Ray Nelson he'd be on the Packers roster is because he was a fourth round pick, and Green Bay didn't want to admit they screwed up on a fourth round pick. Isn't that what you want in a good GM? Yes, you want a guy that will admit to his mistakes and cut his losses before going down with the the ship. Hundred percent. And that was we keep harping on it, but Ted Thompson. He was not to, good at admitting mistake. I on swear bad to God, pick. he just did it for the thrill of finding the diamond in the rough or the guy from the fourth round to seventh round that no one else thought would be good, that he was the one guy that thought they could be good. That's why he traded down all the time. Because some of these moves, it doesn't even make sense. Like he was just trying to be the smartest guy in the room. And he's holding out hope time and time again. And time and time again, it showed these guys just couldn't cut it. And, and, oh, uh, by the way, on this as well, uh, by the way, 608-321-1670, your reaction to the Packers roster. I do want to get into, now that we know the 53, how good of a roster you think this is, on a, on a Wisconsin front, because this just is hilarious to me how every year, you know, you, you, the draft preparation, you know, the combine and then the draft, and it's always, you know, a love fest for Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. And that's fine. They, they, they're they great college programs. They do put a lot of guys in the NFL. But this whole Wisconsin isn't a a, a pro, um, you know, proving ground or, 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 you know, finishing school that, you know, Wisconsin's a great college team, but they don't put out pros. And, you know, how many – when do when does some scout Nelson or some GM wise up to the fact that this whole notion of Wisconsin – players being underrated, underdrafted is going to stop because you saw it again over the weekend. T.J. Edwards undrafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Which was a disgrace. He went undrafted. You know, he's a finalist for the Butt Kiss Award for the nation's top linebacker, and he makes the the final 53 uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Corey Clement, you know, you know the story. He's been around for two years now, but he was undrafted. Uh, two years ago by the Eagles. He, of course, makes the final 53. Uh, then you even go to the guys that were drafted that well, makes Alex no- Ingold, too, undrafted. Alec Ingold, undrafted, uh, becomes the starting fullback uh, for the Oakland Raiders. I'm going to start making a list here. Uh, you have Leon Jacobs, who was a seventh-round draft pick last year by the Jaguars. He's now the starting middle linebacker uh, for Jacksonville. Uh, Jack Sitchi was an un, or excuse me, with a sixth round draft pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year. Coming off an ACL injury, he was named the uh, second, uh, the backup inside linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, I can keep doing this. It, it's well, every single player that was drafted this season for the Badgers all made the roster, and I believe it was Alec Ingold and. Two others that were unsigned free agents that made rosters. Yeah, I mean it. It literally it happens every year, and you know it was it was a cute story 15 years ago when it was Jim Leonard because he was a, a diamond in the rough. He was a one in a million guy, comes from this little itty bitty tiny town in northern Wisconsin. Probably nobody even knew he existed. Um, you know, there probably wasn't, you know, this is pre, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat. So there probably wasn't even video out on Jim Leonard. He walks on at Wisconsin, ends up leading the nation in interceptions. 
doesn't get drafted, has a 10-year, you know, multiple-time Pro Bowl career, you know, makes, you know, tens upon millions of dollars in the NFL. And he was kind of the first guy, right, to start this, the walk-on movement at Wisconsin. That was 15 years ago. When Do you think there's not one scout anywhere? These GMs are supposed to be the smartest guys. Do you think there's not one of them that says, well, damn, every single year Wisconsin puts out two or three guys that doesn't get drafted that makes an NFL roster. Maybe we should be paying better. Maybe we're under uh, under drafting Wisconsin players at, at the NFL draft every we year. We were just kind of focusing on the guys that were drafted in the last couple of years. I know we've mentioned in the past how almost every position on the offensive line is that's the highest paid at that position right. is a former Badger. All the Watts are obviously former Badgers. They have one of the best running backs in the league in Melvin Gordon, former Badger. They're turning out a lot of prospects, and you see that with the team, how good the team's been in the last 15, 20 years too. Yeah, it, it, it just it defies explanation to me that these guys who make tens of millions of dollars, you know, executives in this billion-dollar industry can continue to be so wrong year in and year out. Here's another one. Michael Dieter, you know, yes, the Badger offensive line underperformed last year, but a year ago today, Nelly, he's projected as a first-round draft pick. He ends up being the final pick of the third round by the Dolphins. Granted, Miami not a great team, but he's named the starting left guard yesterday for the Dolphins. Do you think if you could get a starting offensive lineman with the 91st overall pick, do you think he probably was taken a little bit lower than he should have been going in the draft if he's starting on an NFL offensive line? Well, I, he, I mean, you can just do this exercise basically with any NFL team. There's a badger on there. It. He was projected as a first-round pick. What was that at the beginning? Yeah. No. Look, they 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 underperformed to be sure that often. I mean, you're seven and five, but I mean, the point is, how many Badgers are on NFL rosters that either weren't drafted or were barely drafted and are now key contributors? I mean, it's crazy to me. You could pick pick a random team, and you're going to find a, a Badger that you never even were like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about him. And, you know, they're on the roster. It, it happens every year. And, TJ, like you said it, I mean, the fact that T.J. Edwards was projected as one of the top linebackers in college football the last two years uh, to not even be drafted is, is embarrassing. But, you know, good for the – I mean, I wish the Packers had him. We could use an inside linebacker. Wasn't it – was it two years ago that uh, TJ Edwards was projected one of those first-round picks yeah. as well? Yeah. And now he – I think he dropped to – was it first to third? And then after last year dropped undrafted. to fifth to seventh going to undrafted. I did not see 49 nothing coming. How much better do you feel about the Badger season going forward now, Badger fans? I understand one game. But one game can make a big difference. Just ask uh, Tennessee or Florida State fan how they're feeling today. Um, they're 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 ready to burn jerseys in Tallahassee and Knoxville. And uh, one game can make a big difference. A lot of people remember we were talking about this Nelly on the on the Friday morning show and on the pregame Friday night uh, trap game upset alert that a lot of the national pundits were using those terms for Wisconsin. That if there was a top twenty five team that was going to face an upset alert in week one, it was Wisconsin. Yeah, how'd that work out? Last I checked, they won 49 nothing. So Well, this trap game, South Florida's quarterback threw for 109 yards and their whole team rushed for 26. Right. The South Florida Ooh. quarterback uh, had a passer rating, wait for it, 4.7. 4.7 passer rating. So And people were, you know, we were wondering how would Jack Cohn look 
I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, he was good. He I, missed a couple deep balls to Quintez Cephas early in the game. But I think that could have happened with any quarterback because Quintez Cephas has practiced for like four days before the game. Like there's not a whole lot of reps Jack Cohn and Quintez Cephas have had in those four days, let alone the past three years. So I'm going to give him a pass for that one and say, hey, it's those two have more time to get on the same page. They will get on the same page. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I obviously I had a vested interest in, in, in you know, Graham Mertz. I still think Mertz long-term was the, the right answer, but I, I'm not – there's nothing I see after that that's going to make me say – If oh. you take those long two deep balls that he missed out of the equation, and I'm going to say it's just lack of reps on those two between the two players, he was 19 for 24. Yeah. That's pretty efficient. Yeah. No turnovers. No, none even passes. He didn't throw one pass where you go, and you hold your breath or go, what was he doing there? There were no Hornibrook throws where you're just praying it wasn't picked. Uh, by the way, do you think, uh, speaking of our, our man Hornibrook, do you think at any point... Uh, he didn't even sniff the game, and they were getting whooped. <laughs> well, they were up... That, By the way, as far as bad beats, um, and I want to get back yeah, into this... Oof. Oh, my God. I want to get back into the Packers stuff, but uh, you and I shared the same... Uh, bad beats. The, I I don't know how you rank them. I would probably say the third worst beat is Ohio State minus twenty seven. Had it. They get up. Uh, same. They get up twenty eight nothing. There is eight. I'm not making this up. There was eight minutes left in the first quarter, and Ohio State's up twenty eight nothing. They are covering the bet seven minutes into the game, and it's a four touchdown bet. They basically scored two more touchdowns the final, what, 52 minutes of the game. That's incredible. That's a terrible beat. Uh, Florida Atlantic comes back and uh, makes it respectable. It ends up being 42-24, so that's not a cover. Uh, I would say bad beat number two is Florida State, who Had it. Same, uh, is minus six. I actually got it at four, so I'm feeling even better because when I bet it, it was supposed to be a neutral site game, which wasn't neutral, but it, was, it wasn't Florida State's home stadium. It was in Jacksonville. They move it to Florida State's home stadium because of the hurricane. So Florida State now gets a home game. They go up to six points, which is still ridiculous. I still I, I still liked it at six. They're playing Boise State. This isn't the Boise State of the Statue of Liberty and was knocking off upsets. They've, they've fallen back to reality here uh, the last couple of days, uh, or a couple of years, I should say. And it looked just like that. Florida State is crushing Boise State. It is 31-13 with about five minutes left in the third quarter. I give up on that game. I'm like, that bet's safe. I'm going to go check in on the Northwestern game because that was another game I had some jelly beans on. All of a sudden, I see the ticker. I'm like, yeah, 31-20. I'm like, eight minutes left. 31-20. I'm like, damn, now, now they need a score. Next thing I know, Boise State wins. So Florida State at home up by 18 with 20 minutes in the game doesn't win. So that's bad bet. So, so they didn't score in the second half. Correct. They put up 31 points in the first half. You know it's bad when, no, they don't even go to their second-string quarterback. They stick with the first string. But you know who they let throw the football besides, obviously, the starting quarterback? The running back got to throw a pass. <laughs> Hornibrook didn't. That tells you something. So that's bad beat number two. But the worst beat of the weekend had to be the last game played. It was the national televised game, which was an entertaining game, unless you had money on Oregon, which Nellie and I did. Yep. So Oregon and Auburn is the night game. Oregon is plus four. Even though they're the higher-ranked team and have a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate 
what many people think is going to be the number one overall pick, Justin Herbert. Auburn starting an 18-year-old true freshman quarterback, yet Oregon is getting points. So I take Oregon in the plus four. It is 14-3 at halftime. Then it's 21-6 Oregon in the third quarter. So it doesn't look like Auburn's going to win. Certainly Auburn to cover minus four down 21-6 going into the fourth quarter isn't going to happen. What does Auburn do? They score one touchdown at the end of the third quarter. Okay, 21-13. I'm still fine. We're still fine. Auburn puts one in about four minutes into the fourth quarter. It's 21-20. Moderately nervous, but Oregon's not only still covering, they're still winning the game. Oregon gets the ball back. They have a long drive. They end up punting back to Auburn with two minutes left. Auburn has to burn all its timeouts. Yes, the clock stops for a first down in college football, but still... Uh, if you stay in bounds, you can tackle before first down. The clock's still running. So Auburn's got to go eh, 70 some odd yards, just, you know, 45, 50 to get into a field goal range, right? You're thinking, boy, if Auburn can, with a true freshman quarterback, can get into field goal range, that'd be an, that'd be an impressive get, right? No timeouts, two minutes, first game on the road, national TV. <laughs> so and a field goal doesn't beat you. Right. And even a field goal. We still win the bet because that would have made it 23-21 Auburn. The point spread is minus four Oregon. Well, Auburn dinks and dunks, nickel and dimes its way. They're on the the cusp of field goal range with 20 seconds left. They've got no timeouts, 20 seconds. Again, the clock stops on a first down, but are you going to – if you complete a pass over the middle and it's not a first down, the game ends. What does Auburn do? They don't, you know, take a knee or wing it out of bounds or do a little dump-off pass for, like, to you know, steal a couple four extra yards to give a a closer field goal for the kicker because it's about a fifty yard field goal where they're at. So you figure they're going to take one more shot, maybe get a couple more yards, and then kick the field goal. What does Auburn do? They throw it into the end zone with twenty seconds left, and the guy catches like the the defender falls down. Auburn catches the touchdown and wins twenty seven twenty one. Like and they left pretty much no time left right. either. Um, unbelievable last, those are, so those are, I mean, that's week one. Those aren't the worst beats I've ever experienced, but those are three pretty bad beats on the same day. And we both had all three of them (laughs) from Ohio state covering the bet seven minutes into the game. Florida state has the game moved to its home stadium and is up 31, six at one point and loses. And then Oregon is winning. Forget about covering the bet. They're winning with 20 seconds left, and they end up losing the game. (laughs) Those are some bad beats. And don't even let me bring up Oklahoma, who basically was covering the whole game and then decided to shut it down in the fourth quarter. Tough, tough. That's sports gambling, baby. Uh, all right, 608-321-1670. Anyway, that's Nelly and I's lament uh, from the weekend. Sometimes you just got to get it out there. Right. Um, I, you know, we do something called best and worst at the end of the show, and we'll do that today. I don't know if this is best or worst, or it's just it is what it is, uh, Nelson. The Packer 53. Um, again, there wasn't going to be m- m- much drama uh, in this thing. I, I don't know. Like, let me ask you this. We probably should have done this as a Twitter poll, but I think we're too far gone now. And you had a lot on your plate, so I'll excuse it. Um, would you look at this? And maybe we can just put it as an open-ended question for the rest of the show. 608-321-1670. Would you put this as an like as a as a positive or a negative that the biggest storyline of the Packers cuts was the backup quarterback position? 
I mean, can you make an argument that, wow, that's a good, if the biggest drama they had was who's the backup quarterback, things are pretty solid with this Packer roster. Or do you say the fact that there wasn't that much competition, that there wasn't that, oh my God, I can't believe we cut player X like we did years ago with Nelson and Josh Sitton and Mike Daniels, that there wasn't that, oh my God, I can't believe they cut him, that it was just so blah. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing as a Packer fan? I think that's a good thing because overall, I think Gutekunst did a good job and he basically got the roster that I think most people expected and pretty much the best players the Packers had. Like he couldn't really go out and do much with signing free agents, especially big names, or I wouldn't really expect him to go pull off a trade for Melvin Gordon. For what he was working with, I think he did about the best possible. Now, could we nitpick and say Trevor Davis being cut over Alan Lazard. Yeah, but they still got Alan Lazard back. Could and that you, is nitpicking. Could you way. nitpick Deshaun Kaiser's potential versus Tim Boyle's actually playing ability in the games? Yeah. But I think overall, the backup quarterback being the biggest kind of talking point is a good thing, especially because we got the walking turnover himself, Deshaun Kaiser, off this team, and I'm excited. For now, the backup quarterback. Uh, six zero eight three. Like how how annoyed did you get every single time Deshaun Kaiser stepped onto the field and he turned it over? Like it was almost every time. He figured. He, yeah. The coaches always ask, just figure out a way. Deshaun Kaiser figured out a way to turn it over every single time. Yeah, I, look, there, there's no question that Tim Boyle outplayed Kaiser, and in the short term, it would have been a mistake to keep Kaiser over Boyle. The, the question would have been, long term, does Kaiser have more upside? And then, to me, the bigger thing I was worried about, Nelson, was the fact that last year, neither one of these guys, in my opinion, were good enough to be on the Packers roster, yet they kept both of them. Now, it turns out it didn't matter on a lot of fronts, uh, because Aaron Rodgers played all 16 games and it still didn't matter because the Packers stunk either way. So you could say keeping one, both of them, what's the difference other than if you're a team that has a lot of holes to fill and clearly you see the purging that Goody's done of Ted Thompson's draft picks and roster, uh, the Packers have a lot of holes to fill. So even even one spot, like by keeping Deshaun Kaiser, who would you have got rid of? You know, would you not have been able to keep a ninth offensive lineman? How many years have we seen the Packers been decimated on the line and to have better depth? By keeping three quarterbacks, would they have gotten rid of an extra cornerback? How many question marks have we had in the secondary? So that was, to me, not which one they keep. The only question I had was, was there, were there going to be, were they going to keep both of them? Because I thought that, I thought they were going to, and I thought that would have been a bad mistake. Yeah, I I could see why you were questioning if they would keep both of them. I just don't think they they could have. Just roster-wise with how the line, the offensive line has played lately and how, you know, Belaga is a big question mark. Some of those guys have been injury prone on the line. I think you wanted they wanted to keep a, you know, a more bodies on the offensive line and I think with how LaFleur uses his running backs they wanted to keep an extra running back, and that's how they kept three and then another practice squad and player. See, I, I just don't think there was enough room on the yeah. roster for three quarterbacks, especially when 
You yeah, know but there wasn't last year either. Why did they? Do, why did they? And look, I don't want to beat them up. Last year's done. I, I mean, I shouldn't even pose the question because last year's over. But I mean, they did it last year, right? I mean, they they brought three. I, again, having three quarterbacks wasn't the reason they went six nine. And why and do you need two crappy quarterbacks? Yeah, I agree. One is enough. I completely agree. Uh, by the way, I I predicted that none of the other uh, local yokels will show up today. Nobody in our building did except Nelly and I. I love this tweet, Indy Sands. Action Zone Radio, no days off. Let's get it in, boys. Hashtag Labor Day is on notice. Hell yeah, Nelson. Are we putting all of labor? I mean, look, this is a day to celebrate the workforce in America. Take a day off. And I'm glad that for those of you that are afforded the day off, Nelson and I can bring you a little bit of joy and entertainment. Some people have to work today. I will admit I had the choice. Uh, to me, though, it wasn't a choice. Once I was, the push was posed. Man, there's a lot going on today. Do you guys want to come in and do the show? I was like, absolutely. Didn't hurt that it was double time because it's a holiday. But you know, hey, if we had to make a mount notice for today, who's going to be on it? I'm going to go with the logs. <laughs> logs. I'm going to go with every other station in this building and all the other sports stations in Madison. My third one would probably have to be some of the games this weekend. Oh, the bad beats. Man, we're struggling for a fourth, but we'll find it. We'll find him. All right, uh, we'll uh, talk more Maybe on the, the traffic report. Yeah. <laughs>